Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Sean. I'm the lead minister here at Sherwood Oaks. Um, it's been a few weeks, and so I thought I might need to start by reintroducing myself uh, to church family here. It, it was nice to be out of the pulpit for a few weeks, a couple of weeks away from the, the office. I appreciate Jim and Matt and Brad stepping up to preach while I was away. Uh, really thought all three of them did a fantastic job. And before we dive into our text, I just want to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit, let you in on some of my preaching philosophy and my philosophy about time in the, the pulpit. And most people probably won't really care about this, but I think it's important to know the why behind the what. The what is that I was out of the pulpit for the last three weeks, and the why is nothing scandalous. All right, so like last Sunday as I was getting ready to actually go attend church somewhere, I thought, oh man, like three weeks. I wonder if people think, was Sean suspended? Like what did he do? Nothing gossipy like that. You know, it wasn't anything like that. Um, my, my kind of personal goal is to preach somewhere around 38 times a year, which means that there's roughly 14 weeks each year when someone else is going to be up here. And I think that that is important for a handful of reasons. It's healthy for the church for multiple reasons. Number one, it gives others an opportunity to use their gift and to teach on topics that maybe they're passionate about, like that their heart just cries out for. Uh, number two, I think it's always good to get different perspectives and, and hear different preaching styles every now and then. Like I love tacos, but if I ate tacos every meal, I would get sick of tacos. It's good to throw in a hamburger every now and then. And so I think some variety and mixing things up is always healthy. N number three, it gives me a chance to rest and refresh my own mind and soul. I got to be with my family for a few Sundays, which doesn't always get to happen Last Sunday, I went and worshiped with our, our friends at Embassy Church that meets in Woolery Mill. And so it's just good to experience what God is doing in other places and to actually be able to fully engage and worship myself instead of like thinking through my sermon, thinking through what's next, you know, evaluating things. Um, it also reminds me of what it's like to be new at church. Um, and that's something good for us to be reminded about every now and then. Like it's intimidating doing anything new. And I think it's especially intimidating going to a new church. And so if like that's you today, if today is your very first time here, I want you to know like, man, kudos to you for your courage to try something new today. Uh, I got to experience that for a few weeks and it uh, kind of just opened my eyes uh, to what it's like to be new somewhere. And it gave me a greater appreciation for for Sherwood Oaks. Uh, a friend of mine said it well a few weeks ago after missing uh, some, some time. He said, today feels like Easter Sunday for me. And that's kind of how I woke up this morning. Like I was so excited to, to get back with my church family. It felt like Easter. And then finally, last reason, we'll, we'll move on. I think it is such a good reminder for us and for maybe even especially me that the church is not built on one single person except for the person of Jesus Christ. Like he is the only, only one that the church is built on. He is the focus. There are churches, believe it or not, where people will actually call in to see who is preaching that morning to decide if they're going to go to worship or not. <laughs> the church is not about one person. 
And I think God really highlighted this over the last few weeks. We have had 26, 27, because we just had another one this morning, 27 baptisms here at Sherwood Oaks since the beginning of June. Praise God for that. It's amazing. And here's what I love. Over a dozen of them happened while I was away. There was one Sunday morning, my phone was blowing up with, uh, with, with pictures and, and videos of the morning when we had nine baptisms. That's amazing. I'm not sure our facilities team appreciated it, but it was awesome. Like, I think every baptism should be like that. This is, this is my favorite video that I got. Um, <laughs> Quinn and David Chunk making confetti angels uh, from all of the celebration. And so like, man, just all of that to say, all of this to say. I missed you all while I was away, but God is moving at Sherwood Oaks, and it is exciting to be a part of, and he is using multiple people, multiple people, and staff in the church to, to do what he wants to do, to build his kingdom here, and uh, I'm grateful to be a small piece of that puzzle, <laughs> Uh, and glad to be back this morning. So let me pray, and then uh, we'll dive in. God, thanks for your church, uh, the, the beautiful mess that it is, that it is made up with uh, imperfect people, but Lord, we are just pursuing you, our perfect God, who loves us perfectly. And I pray, Lord, that today as we open up your word, you will speak to us, God. We came here to hear your voice, and so we pray that your spirit will fill this room, illuminate your text, Open up our hearts and our minds, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so our text today is Philippians chapter 2. Uh, if you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, I invite you to turn there with me. Philippians chapter 2. Our core verse for this week and the, and the topic is on humility, um, which, if I'm honest, preaching about humility is kind of a humbling experience uh, like if anyone stood up here and, and said, come, let me teach you everything I know about humility. <laughs> I would really question whether or not that person was qualified to teach anything about hu humility. Humility is one of those things that as soon as you know you have it, you just lost it. And so I want to be clear that I'm not up here today because I feel like I have this all figured out. In fact, um, I am increasingly aware of my pride and the effect that it has in my life and in my relationships, my leadership, and the devastation that it causes. And so I'm preaching today um, as a fellow pilgrim with you, trying to pursue and walk down a path of humility by the grace of God. And really what we're all trying to do is walk in step and follow the example of Jesus, who perfectly epitomized what a humble life looks like. In our text today, Paul urges us towards unity in the church, kind of a, a continuation of what Brad talked about last week. And a key ingredient for unity, for there to be unity in a family, in an office, for there to be unity uh, in a church, in any group, man, a key, key ingredient is humility. I don't think that you can have unity without humility. And so look at our text today in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Paul says, therefore, if, if you have any encouragement 
from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So Paul is saying that if we have experienced any kind of blessing, any kind of transformation from our relationship with the Father, then it ought to be seen like one of the fruit that ought to bear in growth in our life is humility. And the way that we value others above ourselves and the way that we look out for the interest of others and not just our, our own. Someone once said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's not that we become doormats and just kind of lay down for, for people to walk all over us. That's, that's not what, what it is, but that we submit ourselves to, to Jesus and we use what he has given us for the glory of God and the good of others. Humility is turning our eyes off of ourselves and fixing them on, on the Lord and how we can be a blessing to him and to others. And there is something about this quality of humility that God is drawn to. In fact, something that we see pretty consistently throughout Scripture is that humility gets God's attention. Like if you want to get the attention of God, humility is one of the ways that it happens. He is drawn to it. He notices it. In Isaiah 66, 2, God says, these are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. God looks favorably on those who, who demonstrate humility and dependence upon the Lord and his word and his ways, who have surrendered to him. Jesus affirms this with, with his parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And, and actually, Jesus affirms humility in, in several different places in the gospel. But, but one of these is through a story that he told about two people who went out to pray one day. And you had the Pharisee, this, this religious leader who went out and he, he stood on the street corner where everyone could see him and everyone could hear him. And he prayed as loud as he could, God, thank you. Thank you that I am not like them. <laughs> he wanted to get noticed by people. He looked down on others. And then you had the humble tax collector, rejected by society, looked down on by everyone, praying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says that it was the tax collector, not the Pharisee, who went home that day with his prayer heard and answered. And he ends the story by saying, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Humility gets God's attention. Humility also attracts his grace. James 4, 6 says, God gives grace to the humble 
You've probably heard someone say, God helps those who help themselves. But you won't find it anywhere in Scripture. That, that's, that's not in the Bible. In fact, the opposite is what we find throughout Scripture. God helps those who humble themselves and who recognize their need and their dependency upon Him. He gives grace and mercy to the humble, and they experience His rich community that's others focused. And unfortunately, what happens is that too often our pride gets in the way of that. Our pride gets in the way of us experiencing this rich, deep, meaningful community and, and relationships with, with others. And whether we want to admit it or not, the real issue about pride is not if it resides in our heart, but where it resides and how much of it is there and how it's affecting those around us. And if you're not sure where your prideful areas are, ask someone close to you, and I promise you they've seen them. <laughs> And they're probably waiting for an opportunity to let you know. <laughs> scripture after scripture teaches us that pride is deeply rooted in every one of our hearts. And it is far more dangerous and destructive than we even give it credit for. Even if you don't believe what the Bible says and the, the warning after warning after warning that's in scripture. Even if you're like, I'm not really sure that I can believe this text. That it has credibility to me. Fair. All right. Think about it in your own life. All the ways that your pride and the pride of others has caused heartache and pain in your life. You may be here today carrying around a deep wound that was left because of some actions caused by your pride. You may be carrying today a wound that someone else inflicted on you because of their pride. I think it's why scripture reserves some of its strongest language for the sin of pride because it knows the destruction that it can cause. In Proverbs 8.13, God says, I hate pride and arrogance. Proverbs 16.5, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. First Peter 5.5, 5, in other places, God opposes the proud. He is actively against those who are prideful over and over and over. Scripture is shouting to us about the dangers of pride. And the more I think about it, the more I realize that God's warning to us about pride is actually an act of mercy and grace. Our good, loving, and kind Heavenly Father is trying to get our attention about the dangers of something that will absolutely wreck our lives. When we uh, served as um, uh, out at a church plant in, in Rhode Island, we met in a movie theater. We didn't have a facility where we could gather, and so we turned the uh, theater seven uh, every every Sunday morning into a place where we could have have church gatherings. And so that meant that uh, our family usually got there pretty early along with a whole team of volunteers that, that went hard to work of setting it up so that we could transition the theater into, into a worship space. And oftentimes we were able to like stop at Duncan because no kidding, I actually looked this up one time on their app. There were 55 Duncan Donuts within a five mile radius of our house in North Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, <laughs> 
It's insane. And so we would stop and grab uh, some donuts and the girls would eat those. But every now and then we'd be running behind because kids and we would say, okay, we'll like, we'll get everything set up and then, and then we'll go and get you breakfast. Well, one morning we were kind of rushing and we got there. We weren't able to get the kids breakfast. They were like two and three at the time. And we, we set up and we looked around and we're like, where's Adeline? And we couldn't, we couldn't find, find Adeline. She had like scurried off someplace. And we were in the theater and like, Adeline, Adeline. And I heard her little voice up kind of in the, the, the seats and the, the second you know, kind of balcony part of, of the theater. And so I, I run over there just to kind of see what she's doing. And she is eating popcorn off of the floor that was left over from the night before. And I scream, no, don't do it. And uh, she drops the popcorn and immediately just bursts out in tears. And I don't know if she's bursting out in tears because I scared her at how like I yelled at her or if like she was like, I really wanted that piece of popcorn, daddy. I'm hungry and that popcorn was good. Uh, but to me, I'm looking at it going, you have no idea the disease that is all over that popcorn. I don't know if you have ever seen a movie theater with the lights on. It is a scary scary place. <laughs> and I think in a way that's what God is doing with all of the warnings in scripture about pride. He is shouting to us, don't touch it. It is filled with disease that is going to work its way in your life and affect everything about you. And that's why God hates pride. He knows what it does to us who it makes us, how it destroys our relationships. Pride puts me first, my wants, my preferences, my desires. Pride robs us of the community that we were created to experience. Pride makes us aspire to God's status and position. Instead of submitting to him, we go our own way. We play by our own rules. We think that we know best. We pursue what we want instead of what he wants. And, and God has the ability of hindsight for all of eternity. And from before creation, God has seen pride's destructive power and the devastation that it can cause. And so he is pleading with us like a loving father, stay away from it. He knows that pride is our greatest enemy. And he knows that humility is our greatest friend. So how do we pursue a life of humility? It starts and ends with Jesus. Like starts with Jesus, ends with Jesus. We begin to walk in humility, not when living a more humble life is our goal, but when becoming more like Jesus is our soul's deepest desire. Humility is formed in us only when we take the actions and the attitude of Jesus when we embrace his mindset, look at our core verse that Jim read for us earlier. I'm going to read verses 5 and then continue through verse 11. Paul says, in your relationships with one another, again, there's a community aspect where humility plays out. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place 
and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus showed us what true humility and surrender to the Father looks like. He thought of others, not just himself. He served others by laying down his rights as God and taking on flesh. He made sacrifices for others when he left heaven for earth, when he gave up his glory to take on our shame, when he laid down his title of master and picked up the title of servant, when he experienced our life, which led to his death even death on a cross. Jesus shows us what true humility looks like, and it is a life that is focused on others, putting their needs above our own. It's a life rich in service and sacrifice for others. It's a life that does not demand its own way or glory on earth, but seeks to bring glory to God. And it's only when we take on his actions and his attitudes, when we follow his example, that we begin to live a more humble life. And so how can we fight our greatest enemy of pride and embrace our greatest enemy and friend of humility? Two things as we wrap up. Number one, confront the pride inside of your own heart. Confront the pride in your own heart. And if you're thinking, well, I don't really have a lot of pride, I just found the first one for you. <laughs> Confront it. We all have it. The only way to expose it is to bring it out of the darkness by shining it in the light. Confess your pride to someone. They probably already see it. And if they're still with you, they love you. They're safe people. Confess it to them. It's amazing how just acknowledging your pride and the ways that it plays out in your life will help you start to take control of it instead of it controlling you. So start by acknowledging those obvious places of pride in your life. And what I found is that as you do that, you'll begin to see it in those more subtle places that it begins to play out. Even ways that maybe you're faking humility because you know it's an admirable quality. So confront the pride in your heart. And if you find that you continue to struggle with it, turn your gaze upon the cross. In fact, I don't know that there is a better way to fight pride and cultivate humility than to look at the cross. Author and theologian John Stott once wrote, every time we look at the cross, Christ seems to be saying to us, I am here because of you. It is your sin I'm bearing, your curse I'm suffering, your debt I am paying, your death I am dying. He says, nothing in history or in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have inflated views of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness, until we have visited a place called Calvary. It is there at the foot of the cross that we shrink to our true size. See, the honesty of the cross is that it doesn't flatter us. The, the cross is not a symbol of how good or great we are. The cross will never shout out to you, you deserve this. 
you should fight for your own way and process everything through the filter of how it affects you. (laughs) The cross is a reminder to daily take up our own cross and follow Jesus and the example of Jesus and his humility. It's a reminder of Jesus' humility to step into this world that he created and rescue us from our sin and our shame. And it spurs us to nail our own pride to the cross, to crucify it with Christ so that we can take on the mind of Christ. We can focus on others and put their needs first. We can serve others even if it requires personal sacrifice. We can use our time and our talent and our treasure to glorify God and for the good of others. How can any of us be arrogant or prideful when we consider the cross? And so that's what we're going to do now as we reflect and pray and respond. And if you're ready to lay down your pride and humbly surrender yourself to the Father, to lay down your life and experience his amazing grace, we are ready to help you take your next steps. Jim's going to come up and share with us how we can do that. The next steps that were only made possible through Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your example of humility. Coming down to this world living the life that we could not live, dying the death that we deserve so that we could be saved, so we could be forgiven, we could be set free from all of the sin that entangles us and binds us, none more than our pride. So Father, I pray that we will be honest about those places where pride resides in our heart. We will confess it, we'll bring it to light and allow you to do your work and and joining our minds with Christ and growing humility inside of each one of us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.